For seven years, Port Nelson's been the centre of health questions surrounding the use of methyl bromide, and it seems it's a case of who do you believe? Do you believe the widows of the four men who worked in and around the port who say they died of motor neurone disease caused by methyl bromide and other people who say they've been poisoned by it? Or do you believe the authorities who say local and international evidence does not support the linkage claims and that methyl bromide is safe as long as it's properly used? Methyl bromide is a deadly toxic poison. No one denies that. Its use is being phased out worldwide under the International Montreal Protocol because it depletes the Earth's ozone layer. But until an economic and effective alternative is found, it's exempted in New Zealand to fumigate imported fruit and vegetables and export logs and sawn timber. There's no question this is a dangerous chemical. Around the world, many people have died from acute methyl bromide poisoning and well over a thousand have been made ill. But is it harming people at Port Nelson who have been exposed to it for 25 years? I remember him many times complaining about it, so obviously he was exposed to it. Um, there was also quite an accident where the tarpaulins ruptured, I think, in about 2000 sometime, which would just about fit in with the beginning of his symptoms. Jan Avers, husband Eddie, a long-time truck driver at Milburn Cement, now wholesome, was diagnosed with motor neurone disease, or MND, in May 2002. He lived another 18 months. Within two years, three more local men died of the disease. Marine biologist Mike Bull, warfinger John Parker and forklift driver Matt Mackay. All had worked at the port from the first days of methyl bromide fumigation in 1981. Two other men who worked in and around the port also died from motor neurone disease around the same period. He wrote it down, he said, I'm going to die of being poisoned. And he knew then that was, her, that was it, that he was going to die. So he died a week later. Marilyn Mackay and husband Matt had separated and when Marilyn visited him in 2003 she was shocked by his condition. His speech was so garbled she thought he'd had a stroke until she remembered a conversation with her son. My son saying to me that Dad's got what John Parker had. Mum, he's just got the same thing. And I thought this is more, of a, more than a coincidence. For Nelson Medical Officer of Health Dr Ed Kittle, the death of Matt Mackay and the other port workers from the same disease is just that, coincidence, or chance, as it was described in an inquiry report two years ago. The worldwide incidence of motor neurone disease um, is in the order of one to two cases per 100,000 population. It seems to be about the same all around the world. And what we found that the incidence locally was, um, was no higher than that. International agencies and researchers have reported on methyl bromide's toxic effects. One project by five United States universities said laboratory-tested rats showed extensive neuron or nerve cell damage from methyl bromide. Other studies indicate damage similar to the symptoms of motor neurone disease. But Dr Ed Kittle says pathology studies don't support that connection. Pathology from the nerve damage from methyl bromide because it is a, a toxic substance, um, is different from the pathology from uh, motor neurone disease. So taking all those things together, along with the fact that we found no increase in the rate, uh, kind of um, 
led to that outcome of no evidence of any link being detected in the cluster study. However, it's the population bases used in the cluster study that's the most contentious issue. Dr Kittle says 16 cases in Nelson between 1995 and 2005 is typical of what's found internationally. However, toxicologist Professor Ian Shaw, the Science Pro Vice-Chancellor at Canterbury University, says the study was erroneously based on the wider Nelson population of nearly 90,000. He says it should have been based on the port population. From my perspective, the population you should be looking at is the Nelson port population, not the entire Nelson population. And then, of course, the situation is really very different because very, very many fewer people work at the Nelson port than live in Nelson. You know, say there are two or three hundred, there might be more. But those number of cases between 2002 and 2005 is really very, very, very many more than two in a hundred thousand. Ed Kittle defends the cluster study methodology. The Port Nelson population isn't drawn necessarily just from Nelson City. So we've got the Tasman area as well, or Richmond and places like that where people are coming and going. So no, it ends up we couldn't find any evidence of a link between motor neuron disease and methylbromate fumigation at the port and the most likely explanation was chance. And this is in fact the most common outcome for a lot of cluster studies. Sue Lindsay doesn't accept the study's findings. She's convinced methyl bromide was a cause of her husband Mike Ball's death. You don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. It's quite plain that if someone's spending all their working life down there and you've got these deaths, this number of deaths from a rare disease, there's something deeply wrong. They're very likely come in from Indonesia or elsewhere in the east. Alan Perry is technical advisor to Genera, New Zealand's largest fumigator of logs and timber. His company and others also use methyl bromide to treat suspect imports arriving in hundreds of containers each year at New Zealand ports. In this case we're looking at an imported used furniture which is being uh, fumigated at MAF's two MAF's requirements using uh, 80 grams of methyl bromide. Not far from this container fumigation at Port Nelson is Shed 3. Stacks of sawn timber will be fumigated here against the Aeropolis beetle. Australia, India, the United States and others insist on methyl bromide, saying it's the only effective treatment. For 16 years, until 1997, fumigation at Port Nelson was done outside. Gas was pumped in under tarpaulins, which were lifted once the fumigation was deemed complete. No OSH incident investigations are recorded during these outside fumigations. But Angela Parker says no one, including her late Warfinger husband John, had any idea then about methyl bromide or its hazards. Fumigation started outside his office in the mid-80s, directly, under tarpaulins. And then they just lifted the tarpaulins and loaded the timber. In those days, were they aware that there was a danger from that fumigation? No, nothing was ever mentioned. They also did all the containers just anywhere on the wharf. The Nelson Maritime Union Branch Secretary Bill Lewis says in the early days fumigation practices were slack, even when the process was moved into a building called Shed 2. It was um, being used in a shed in a public area. The doors were insecure, the holes in the walls to the adjoining um, premises. Also the um, uh, arrangement for um, opening up the shed wasn't really... Um, set down 
tightly enough. <coughs> that this is the shed that I was gassed in, <coughs> where the timber was stacked, um, <coughs> and while they were still fumigating it. It's what they called number two shed. It was an incident involving forklift driver Ian Street in the early hours of December the 2nd, 2000, that lifted the lid on methyl bromide concerns. Ian Street began feeling unwell after making several trips into the shed to pick up pallet loads of fumigated timber, and by the time he went for a breakfast break, he says he was having trouble positioning the forklift and was leaving timber stacks in the wrong places. I went back to the job, I went into the shed once more, came out with another pack of timber and collapsed at the wheel on the machine. And that was when the supervisor came over and asked me if I was alright, he could see I wasn't. Um, he told me to get off the machine, I went to get out of the machine um, and had a, a minor blackout or fainting and fell down the steps. Ian Street's hospital treatment led to a flurry of activity. Within 10 days, a code of practice for fumigation under discussion since August had been implemented. After the December incident, Ian Street later returned to work and says he was shunned. I was told by some of the employers that um, it was an act I was putting on. Even though my, um, uh, the blood test that they took proved that I had high levels of um, methyl bromide in my system. After being shifted to light duties by his stevedoring employer, Ian Street finally left the company. He was granted ACC cover, indicating acceptance of a link between the methyl bromide incident and his ill health. He's so far the only methyl bromide complainant to be given ACC cover. Methyl bromide was on the news again later in 2001, when several employees of a Nelson importer and retailer became ill after opening a container from Bali which had been fumigated. One of the women had a miscarriage four months later and blamed the gas poisoning. Back at the port in February 2005, five men reported feeling ill after working metres away from Shed 2 after a fumigation. One of the men was truck driver Jim Lutheris, who was loading concrete from Wholesome Cement's plant. We were in there for about half an hour and the fumigates were letting the shed discharge. I usually do it in the mornings. It happened to be 11.30 in the morning. There's five of us. Uh, we all ended up with uh, diarrhoea and thumping the headaches. Um, there was a woman that was working in the shed there. She ended up with diarrhoea as well. She was breastfeeding the baby ended up with uh, diarrhoea as well. Jim Lutheris says Osh was at first keen to investigate the methyl bromide connection but then appeared to back off. When we actually went and seen Osh, they said, you know, you'd been poisoned. First time we've had a concrete evidence where five people have been poisoned within half an hour. That's what Osh said? Yeah. There's Bill Glass, um, so they said they'll really follow this up there. So the next meeting we had with Osh a few weeks later, they really didn't want to know us. Wholesome wrote to Osh three days after the incident, saying it was concerned about the management of the fumigation process and it hadn't been notified, as it should have been, that the fumigation was taking place. Genera said Wholesome had been removed from the notification list as someone had told them not to bother. As for Jim Lutheris, he says he still has health problems. Still get thumping headaches after two years. Um, still got diarrhoea problems, uh, blurred vision, sweats at night. Uh, still got the lumps inside my uh, mouth. Uh, yeah, top and bottom lumps. So, yeah, and always thirsty, um, tingling arms and legs at night.
Jim's wife Marie says ACC had at first approved her husband's application but then changed its mind. She believes the authority is worried about setting a precedent for methyl bromide incidents. There'll be too many people coming forward with complaints of the same thing because we know of a lot of people who have got problems. And if they accept one person like they did with Ian Street who they accepted and now they're kicking themselves I think they don't want to accept any more because they're going to have people rolling through the door with claims. A month after Jim Lutheris incident, the manager of the wholesome cement plant at the port, Richard Clark, became ill after another fumigation metres from his office. Like Ian Street, Richard Clark was accused of acting. He says most people at the port are in denial over methyl bromide dangers. They still claim that it wasn't actually methyl bromide, it was some other chemical that was in the timber that treated it and mm. the bromide doesn't really poison us at all, it's perfectly safe. So re- really they're, they're still in denial. Like Jim Lutheris, Richard Clark has also been turned down for ACC because the link between his injury and methyl bromide poisoning could not be proved to ACC's satisfaction. In a strange twist, eight months after his incident, Richard Clark spun the lotto wheel to win a million dollars. He says without the windfall he would not have been able to quit his job, but he'd still rather have his health rather than putting up with depression and feeling ill. The Department of Labour won't discuss individual cases, but Dr Geraint Emrys, the department's chief advisor on occupational health, says the link between injury and methyl bromide is difficult to prove. I think a lot of that is dependent on the medical evidence that's been provided to us, that symptoms are often fairly non-specific. And uh, by the time we're aware of these, the, uh, the link may be somewhat uncertain. And obviously we have to go on the diagnosis that's provided to us and also our assessment of the potential exposure that we could determine might have happened from the activity that's been undertaken. The Nelson Office of the Department rejects any suggestion it's changed its opinion on claim poisoning cases and says blood tests have not showed elevated bromide levels. It says an investigation concluded that workers were probably exposed to a mix of chemicals, including methyl bromide and timber preservatives. Genera spokesman Alan Perry also does not believe methyl bromide was the cause of the wholesome incident. The conclusion that I came from reading all the details of that and talking to the people involved at the time is that it's more likely that the sickness that was experienced by wholesome people was caused by arose from a, diff- a different cause. Any other any idea what that cause might have been? In the case of that, I don't know, but uh, the bigger danger in the port is actually uh, exhaust gases from uh, vehicles. By March 2005, growing public concern led to a decision to move fumigations to Shed 3, a building further away from port offices and the public boundary. Although gas venting chimneys were later extended, it hasn't stopped residents and businesses close to the port from worrying. A hundred metres or so from Shed 3 on Wakefield Quay is the coffee roastery of Dan Henner. He's unhappy that gas venting should be allowed so close to the public and says there should be at least further modelling and monitoring to test for methyl bromide drift. I don't think anyone around the place wants to be used as a guinea pig just to, to see what happens. You know, I think uh, if they're a little bit unsure, they, they should definitely be taking responsibility for, for all their actions, just like everyone else has to. The port's chief executive, Martin Byrne, rejects claims of inaction by the port. 
And any suggestion there's collusion because of the business link between the port and its half-owner, the City Council. He says the port's been a leader on fumigation practices. The port was heavily involved and before I got here in terms of setting up the code of practice. As I said, we've got ventilation systems that, that are unmatched in any other port in the country, so I think uh, we've, we've done everything we humanly could. From a perfect uh, point of view, if a system can come up where, where the methobromide is recaptured, then uh, obviously that would probably be the ideal, uh, short of no fumigation required at all, which is obviously well out of our control. Residents' concerns about methyl bromide increased with the release of an environmental scientist computer modelling. Dr Craig Stevenson's findings were that under worst-case weather conditions, concentrations of methyl bromide could drift into parts of the residential hills above the port at up to twice the allowable workplace levels. But the man who commissioned the modelling report, the Medical Officer of Health, Ed Kittle, says actual monitoring in the hills shows residents have nothing to fear. The practice they put in place has steadily improved over the years and I would have thought Port Nelson has now got probably the best practice in the country, which is a direct result in some ways of the focus that's been on the issue over the years. Yes, I think the practice is the best possible we could have at the moment. Uh, As I said before, I think... One's always looking for improvement in this. However, Dr Stevenson, who won't record an interview, says monitoring can't be relied on because of the difficulty of sampling at the right place at the right time. He's recommended that while a definitive assessment of risk is awaited, venting of the gas should not happen when the wind direction is not towards the port hills. An Auckland-based air quality consultant, Terry Brady, also believes Dr Stevenson's predictive model of gas drift should be setting off some alarm bells. The problem with actually measuring it is that you have to have a large number of monitors. You have to leave them in place and carry out a monitoring exercise for one, two, maybe three, four, five years before you actually build up a sufficient picture of the true level. While the debate over methyl bromide continues in Nelson, A similar controversy is stirring in nearby Picton. Our town is a natural amphitheatre and our concerns are that um, under a a given set of conditions that this gas will drift over the town, it will be held down low by this inversion layer and will expose our community to toxic poisoning. A southerly breeze is bringing rain today, but Pete Beach from the Guardians of the Sounds group says in the prevailing northerly, gas could drift into Picton from fumigations at Shakespeare Bay. He and environmentalist Stephen Browning of the Soil and Health Association say Picton is just becoming aware of the fumigations. We didn't realise we're the third largest user um, here in the country. Significant user right on the community's doorstep and then we started coming across the bureaucratic dumbing down here too. Stephen Browning says public health officials apparently knew nothing of the gas's use or possible community concerns despite events in Nelson. Pete Beach says drift from Shakespeare Bay is proven by what's happened in the past with export coal and lucerne grass dust settling on Picton rooftops. Late that wet afternoon, I go to Shakespeare Bay with Port Marlborough Chief Executive Des Ashton. This is a general area where fumigation is carried out. As you can see, it's well away from, uh, from the town or, in fact, any areas of population. 
Des Ashton says the port company is now undertaking its own fumigation monitoring, although he's unaware of any methyl bromide related illnesses at the port. I wouldn't be allowing it to happen here in the port if I thought there was any possibility whatsoever that that was the case. So there's a wide body of knowledge built up over many years as to how quickly this gas dissipates uh, and um, uh, that's available, readily available. So. Uh, and with the monitoring that's been carried out to date and uh, that in the future, I'm quite sure that there's not a problem in that regard. Mr Ashton said he'd be prepared to let the port's monitoring equipment be used and picked in itself to test for gas fumes. But what about concerns at other ports using much more methyl bromide? In 2005, Picton used 17 tonnes of the fumigant and Nelson 4 tonnes. But Port Tolaronga Mount Monganui used 50 tonnes and Auckland 47. Victor Billow from the Maritime Union says workers at both ports have had concerns about the gas. He's also concerned for workers in ship holds loading timber which have been fumigated with methyl bromide. The methyl bromide could quite easily, we think, be, be pooling or be collecting in areas like that and it might not be getting away, in, in which case it could mean our members were exposed. Some people have accused anti-methyl bromide lobbyists of paranoia and ask why some people are affected by the gas when others are not. Toxicologist Ian Shaw says there's an answer to that. It all depends on the dose, because if you have enough to override the body's natural defence mechanisms, the stuff called SOD, then the chemical will have an effect on the cells in the body. If you don't have enough to override that, then the body will deal with the chemical very well. The Maritime Union says many people with concerns or even exposure to the fumigant won't come forward for fear of getting into trouble or losing their jobs. Nelson's Campaign Against Toxic Sprays Group, or CATS, has led the methyl bromide issue, organising a petition of 1,400 names to go to Parliament in action before a select committee which recommended stricter controls on the gas. The environmental regulatory body IRMA says methyl bromide is already one of New Zealand's most tightly regulated chemicals. However, just after that select committee recommendation last October, IRMA Chief Executive Rob Forlong announced its use would be reassessed, but it's not on the IRMA urgency list and the reassessment may be years away. Could result in anything from a complete um, phasing out or banning of the substance through to some tighter rules, I would say. I, I wouldn't expect this methyl bromide to have the, the rules relaxed on it, but there might be some tighter rules put in place. It's pretty tight now, but I'm sure there might be some things that we can do to tighten it up just to make sure that the, the use is kept to a minimum and that it's as safe as possible. The fumigator genera says a recapture and destruction process of the gas could soon be introduced instead of release. Advisor Alan Perry says an Australian company, Nordico, has trialled the technique and it could soon be available for large-scale use. But Genera wants an undertaking from Nelson City Council that the system would be allowed. It'll increase the cost of fumigation, so we need to be sure that it's going to be able to be, to be used on a continuing basis. At present, the new Nelson Air Quality Plan would not allow us to continue quarantine fumigations in, uh, on Port Nelson as of right. We need to get a consent. And you've appealed that to the Environment Court as a result? Well, we've appealed on the, on the basis that we want to get acceptance of the capture system that's been proposed. Recapture would address many issues, although there are questions about how much gas would still escape. 
Research is underway into methyl bromide alternatives, and China has already accepted another gas, phosphine, to treat logs. That's done in the holds of vessels en route to China, and although phosphine is not ozone depleting, it is toxic. The Biosecurity Minister Jim Anderton says discussions are underway with India to also accept phosphine, but he says international biosecurity negotiations take time. They have to be accepted internationally or by bilateral negotiation. I'm advised that even if phosphine was, was found to be a perfect solution, or at least a better solution, it would probably take two or three years in most cases to get it accepted by the countries. The forestry industry, which has $1.2 billion worth of exports at stake, says it's frustrated at slow progress in the search for alternatives, including large-scale heat treatment and other less dangerous chemicals. Marlborough-based forest grower and log exporter to India Rick Osborne says he and others pay $20 per tonne to MAF for biosecurity certification and research, but he believes MAF is dragging the chain looking for alternatives to methyl bromide. There's not enough empowerment within MAF for the people to get on with the job. There's too much sort of backside covering effectively. Someone at the top of MAF needs to put the word down, please get on with this job. A group called Stimber, representing almost everybody interested in timber and log exporting, was formed two years ago to find a safer fumigant. It's been turned down for a small amount of research funding, although Jim Anderton says he will support another application next year. Despite attempts to replace methyl bromide, its use seems unlikely to end for several years. The Green Party's health spokesperson Sue Kedgley says in the meantime it's ridiculous that fumigations using a deadly toxic gas can be done without a permit. If you want to go and you know, fix something on your veranda, you've got to go off and get a resource consent. But here we have very large port facilities emitting you know, tonnes and tonnes of the most ozone-depleting and highly toxic gas into the atmosphere and no permit, no resource consent is required whatsoever. I think it is completely bizarre, and I think, frankly, New Zealand has just been turning a blind eye. The Nelson City Council will lead the way when it introduces its air quality plan, making industrial emissions, including methyl bromide use, a discretionary activity requiring a resource consent and, if notified, a public hearing. The Council's Environment Committee Chairman Eric Davey says while Council will be able to control its use, it has no power to outlaw the fumigants. We know that that is a, a problem material, but we are bound by law. These people have been using methyl bromide for many, many years in many of the ports of New Zealand. We have attempted to bring into place uh, controls that enable us to satisfy ourselves that we are not causing any harm to the community. The next big step in the methyl bromide controversy will come when the Environment Court hears an appeal by the fumigator Genera against Nelson City Council's plan. The hearing is due in November. At the same time, the log fumigation season using methyl bromide gets underway again at Nelson and other ports around the country.